Chapter Nine of the Wide Wide World. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Wide Wide World by Susan Warner. Chapter Nine. The Little Queen in the Armchair. Ellen had been whirled along over the roads for so many hours, the rattle of the stagecoach had filled her ears for so long that now, suddenly still and quiet, she felt half stunned. She stood with a kind of dreamy feeling, looking after the departing stagecoach. In it there were three people whose faces she knew, and she could not count a fourth within many a mile. One of those was a friend too, as the fluttering handkerchief of poor Miss Timmins gave token still. Yet Ellen did not wish herself back in the coach, although she continued to stand and gaze after it as it rattled off at a great rate down the little street, its huge body lumbering up and down every now and then, reminding her of sundry uncomfortable jolts. Till the horses making a sudden turn to the right, it disappeared round a corner. Still for a minute, Ellen watched the whirling cloud of dust it had left behind. But then the feeling of strangeness and loneliness came over her, and her heart sank. She cast a look up and down the street. The afternoon was lovely. The slant beams of the setting sun came back from gilded windows, and the houses and chimney tops of the little town were in a glow. But she saw nothing bright anywhere. In all the glory of the setting sun, the little town looked strange and miserable. There was no sign of her having been expected. Nobody was waiting to meet her. What was to be done next? Ellen had not the slightest idea. Her heart growing fainter and fainter, she turned again to the inn. A tall, awkward young countryman, with a cap set on one side of his head, was busying himself with sweeping off the floor of the piazza, but in a very leisurely manner. And between every two strokes of his broom, he was casting long looks at Ellen, evidently wondering who she was and what she could want there. Ellen saw it and hoped he would ask her in words, for she could not answer his looks of curiosity. But she was disappointed. As he reached the end of the piazza and gave his broom two or three knocks against the edge of the boards to clear it of dust, he indulged himself with one good, long, finishing look at Ellen, and then she saw he was going to take himself and his broom into the house. So in despair she ran up the two or three low steps of the piazza and presented herself before him. He stopped short. Will you please to tell me, sir, said poor Ellen, if Miss Emerson is here? Miss Emerson, said he. What Miss Emerson? I don't know, sir. Miss Emerson lives not far from Thirlwall. Eyeing Ellen from head to foot, the man then trailed his broom into the house. Ellen followed him. Mr. Forbes, said he. Mr. Forbes, do you know anything of Miss Emerson? What Miss Emerson? said another man, with a big red face and a big round body, showing himself in a doorway which he nearly filled. Miss Emerson that lives a little way out of town. Miss Fortune Emerson? Yes, I know her. What of her? Has she been here today? Here? What in town? No, not as I've seen or heard. Why? Who wants her? This little girl. And the man with the broom stepping back disclosed Ellen to the view of the red faced landlord. He advanced a step or two towards her. What do you want with Miss Fortune, little one? said he. I expected she would meet me here, sir, said Ellen. Where have you come from? From New York. The stage set her down just now, put in the other man. And you thought Miss Fortune would meet you, did you? Yes, sir. She was to meet me and take me home. Take you home? Are you going to Miss Fortune's home? Yes, sir. Why, you don't belong to her anyway, do you? No, sir, said Ellen, but she's my aunt. She's your what? My aunt, sir. My father's sister. Your father's sister? You beant the daughter of Morgan Montgomery, be you? 
"'Yes, I am,' said Ellen, half-smiling. "'And you are come to make a visit to Miss Fortune, eh?' "'Yes,' said Ellen, smiling no longer. "'And Miss Fortune hain't come up to meet you. "'That's real shabby of her. "'And how to get you down there to-night? "'I am sure is more than I can tell.' "'And he shouted, "'Wife!' "'What's the matter, Mr. Forbes?' said a fat landlady, "'appearing in the doorway, "'which she filled near as well as her husband would have done. "'Look here,' said Mr. Forbes. "'Here's Morgan Montgomery's daughter come to pay a visit to her Aunt Fortune Emerson. "'Don't you think she'll be glad to see her?' "'Mr. Forbes put this question with a rather curious look at his wife. "'She didn't answer him. "'She only looked at Ellen, looked grave, and gave a queer little nod of her head, "'which meant Ellen could not make out what. "'Now what's to be done?' continued Mr. Forbes. "'Miss Fortune was to have come up to meet her, but she ain't here, "'and I don't know how in the world I can take the child down there to-night.' "'The horses are both out to plough, you know, "'and besides, the tire is come off of that wagon-wheel. "'I couldn't possibly use it. "'And then it's a great question in my mind "'what Miss Fortune would say to me. "'I should get paid, I suppose.' "'Yes, you'd get paid,' said his wife, "'with another little shake of her head. "'But whether it would be the kind of pay you'd like, "'I don't know. "'Well, what's to be done, wife? "'Keep the child overnight and send word down yonder?' "'No,' said Mrs. Forbes. "'I'll tell you. "'I think I saw Van Brunt go by two or three hours ago with the ox-cart, "'and I guess he's somewhere uptown yet. "'I hain't seen him go back. "'He can take the child home with him.' "'Sam!' shouted Mrs. Forbes. "'Sam! Here! Sam! Run up the street directly, "'and see if you see Mr. Van Brunt's ox-cart standing anywhere. "'I dare say he's at Mr. Miller's, or maybe at Mr. Hammersley's, the blacksmith, "'and ask him to stop here before he goes home.' "'Now hurry, and don't run over him, and then come back and tell me he ain't in town.' Mrs. Forbes herself followed Sam to the door, and cast an exploring look in every direction. "'I don't see no signs of him. Up nor down,' said she, returning to Ellen. "'But I'm pretty sure he ain't gone home. Come in here, come in here, dear, and make yourself comfortable. It'll be a while yet, maybe, afore Mr. Van Brunt comes. But he'll be along by and by. Come in here and rest yourself.' She opened a door, and Ellen followed her into a large kitchen, where a fire was burning, that showed wood must be plenty in those regions. Mrs. Forbes placed a low chair for her on the hearth, but herself remained standing by the side of the fire, looking earnestly, and with a good deal of interest, upon the little stranger. Ellen drew her white bonnet from her head, and sitting down with a wearied air, gazed sadly into the flames that were shedding their light upon her. "'Are you going to stop a good while with Miss Fortune?' said Mrs. Forbes. "'I don't know, ma'am. Yes, I believe so,' said Ellen faintly. "'Hain't you got no mother?' asked Mrs. Forbes, suddenly, after a pause. "'Oh, yes,' said Ellen, looking up. But the question had touched the sore spot. Her head sank on her hands, and, oh, mamma, was uttered with a bitterness that even Mrs. Forbes could feel. "'Now what made me ask you that?' said she. "'Don't cry. Don't love. Poor little dear. You're as pale as a sheet. You're tired, I know, ain't you? Now cheer up, do.' "'I can't bear to see you cry. "'You've come a great way to-day, hain't you?' "'Ellen nodded her head, but could give no answer. "'I know what will do you good,' said Mrs. Forbes presently, "'getting up from the crouching posture she had taken to comfort Ellen. "'You'll want something to eat. That's the matter. "'I'll warrant you're half starved. No wonder you feel bad. "'Poor little thing. You shall have something good directly.' "'And away she bustled to get it. "'Left alone, Ellen's tears flowed a few minutes very fast.' She felt forlorn, and she was, besides, as Mrs. Forbes opined, both tired and faint. But she did not wish to be found weeping. She checked her tears, and was sitting again quietly before the fire when the landlady returned. 
Mrs. Forbes had a great bowl of milk in one hand, and a plate of bread in the other, which she placed on the kitchen table, and setting a chair, called Ellen to come and partake of it. "'Come, dear, here is something that will do you good. I thought there was a piece of pie in the buttery, and so there was, but Mr. Forbes must have got hold of it, for it ain't there now, and there ain't a bit of cake in the house for you. But I thought maybe you would like this as well as anything. Come!' Ellen thanked her, but said she did not want anything. "'Oh, yes, you do,' said Mrs. Forbes. "'I know better. You're as pale as I don't know what. Come, this'll put roses in your cheeks. Don't you like bread and milk?' "'Yes, very much indeed, ma'am,' said Ellen. "'But I'm not hungry.' She rose, however, and came to the table. "'Oh, well, try to eat a bit, just to please me. It's real good country milk. Not a bit of cream off. You don't get such milk as that in the city, I guess. That's right. I see the roses coming back to your cheeks already.' "'Is your pa in New York now?' "'Yes, ma'am. "'You expect your pa and ma up to Thorowall by and by, don't you?' "'No, ma'am.' Mrs. Forbes was surprised, and she longed to ask why not, and what Ellen had come for, but the shade that had passed over her face as she answered the last question warned the landlady she was getting upon dangerous ground. "'Does your aunt expect you to-night?' "'I believe so, ma'am. I don't know. She was to have met me. Papa said he would write.' "'Oh, well, maybe something hindered her from coming. "'It's no matter. You'll get home just as well. "'Mr. Van Brunt will be here soon, I guess. "'It's most time for him to be along.' "'She went to the front door to look out for him, "'but returned without any news. "'A few minutes passed in silence. "'For, though full of curiosity, "'the good landlady dared not ask what she wanted to know, "'for fear of again exciting the sorrow of her little companion. "'She contented herself with looking at Ellen.' who on her part, much rested and refreshed, turned from the table, and was again, though somewhat less sadly, gazing into the fire. Presently the great wooden clock struck half-past five, with a whirring rickety voice, for all the world like a hoarse grasshopper. Ellen at first wondered where it came from, and was looking at the clumsy machine that reached nearly from the floor of the kitchen to the ceiling, when a door at the other end of the room opened, and, "'Good day, Mrs. Forbes,' in a rough but not unpleasant voice, brought her head quickly round in that direction. There stood a large, strong-built man, with an ox-whip in his hand. He was well-made, and rather handsome, but there was something of heaviness in the air of both face and person, mixed with his certainly good-humoured expression. His dress was as rough as his voice, a coarse grey frock-coat, green velveteen pantaloons, and a fur cap that had seen its best days some time ago. "'Good day, Mrs. Forbes,' said this personage. "'Sam said you wanted me to stop as I went along.' "'Ah, how do you do, Mr. Van Brunt?' said the landlady, rising. "'You've got the ox-cart here with you, haven't you?' "'Yes, I've got the ox-cart,' said the person addressed. "'I came in town for a barrel of flour, "'and then the near ox had lost both his foreshoes off, "'and I had to go over there. "'And Hammersley has kept me a precious long time. "'What's wanting, Mrs. Forbes? I can't stop.' "'You've no load in your cart, have you?' said the landlady. "'No, I should have had, though.' "'But Miller had no shorts, nor fresh flour, nor won't till next week. "'What's to go down, Mrs. Forbes?' "'The nicest load ever you carried, Mr. Van Brunt. "'Here's a little lady come to stay with Miss Fortune. "'She's a daughter of Captain Montgomery, Miss Fortune's brother, you know. "'She came by the stage a little while ago, and the thing is now to get her down to-night. "'She can go in the cart, can't she?' "'Mr. Van Brunt looked a little doubtful.' and pulling off his cap with one hand, while he scratched his head with the other, he examined Ellen from head to foot, much as if she had been some great bale of goods, and he were considering whether his cart would hold her or not. "'Well,' said he at length, 
I don't know but she can, but there ain't nothing on earth for her to sit down upon. Oh, never mind. I'll fix that, said Mrs. Forbes. Is there any straw in the bottom of the cart? Not a bit. Well, I'll fix it, said Mrs. Forbes. You get her trunk into the cart, will you, Mr. Van Brunt? And I'll see to the rest. Mr. Van Brunt moved off without another word to do what was desired of him, apparently quite confused at having a passenger, and set up his more wanted load of bags and barrels and his face still continued to wear the singular doubtful expression it had put on at first hearing the news. Ellen's trunk was quickly hoisted in, however, and Mrs. Forbes presently appeared with a little armchair, which Mr. Van Brunt, with an approving look, bestowed in the cart, planting it with its back against the trunk to keep it steady. Mrs. Forbes, then raising herself on tiptoe by the side of the cart, took a view of the arrangements. "'That won't do yet,' said she. "'Her feet will be cold on that bare floor, and taint over clean neither.' "'Here, Sally, run up and fetch me that piece of carpet you'll find lying at the top of the back stairs. Now hurry. Now, Mr. Van Brunt, I depend upon you to get my things back again. Will you see and bring them the first time you come in town?' "'I'll see about it. But what if I can't get hold of them?' answered the person addressed with a half-smile. "'Oh,' said Mrs. Forbes, with another, "'I'll leave that to you. You have your ways and means. Now just spread this carpet down nicely under her chair, and then she'll be fixed.' "'Now, my darling, you'll ride like a queen. "'But how are you going to get in? "'Will you let Mr. Van Brunt lift you up?' "'Ellen's, oh, no, ma'am, if you please,' "'was accompanied with such an evident shrinking from the proposal "'that Mrs. Forbes did not press it. "'A chair was brought from the kitchen, "'and by making a long step from it to the top of the wheel "'and then to the edge of the cart, "'Ellen was at length safely stowed in her place. "'Kind Mrs. Forbes then stretched herself up over the side of the cart "'to shake hands with her, and bid her good-bye, telling her again she would ride like a queen. Ellen answered only, "'Good-bye, ma'am,' but it was said with a look of so much sweetness, and eyes swimming half in sadness, and half in gratefulness, that the good landlady could not forget it. "'I do think,' said she, when she went back to her husband, "'that is the dearest little thing about I ever did see.' "'Humph,' said her husband. "'I reckon Miss Fortune will think so, too.' The doubtful look came back to Mrs. Forbes' face, and, with another little, grave shake of her head, she went into the kitchen. "'How kind she is! How good everybody is to me!' thought little Ellen, as she moved off in state in her chariot drawn by oxen. Quite a contrast this new way of travelling was to the noisy stage and swift steamer. Ellen did not know at first whether to like it or dislike it, but she came to the conclusion that it was very funny, and a remarkably amusing way of getting along. There was one disadvantage about it, certainly. Their rate of travel was very slow.' Ellen wondered her charioteer did not make his animals go faster, but she soon forgot their lazy progress in the interest of novel sights and new scenes. Slowly, very slowly, the good oxen drew the cart and the little queen in the armchair out of the town, and they entered upon the open country. The sun had already gone down when they left the inn, and the glow of his setting had faded a good deal by the time they got quite out of the town, but light enough was still left to delight Ellen with the pleasant look of the country. It was a lovely evening, and quiet as summer, not a breath stirring. The leaves were all off the trees, the hills were brown, but the soft, warm light that still lingered upon them forbade any look of harshness or dreariness. These hills lay towards the west, and at Thirlwall were not more than two miles' distance, but sloping off more to the west as the range extended in a southerly direction. Between the ground was beautifully broken, bridge fields and meadows lay on all sides sometimes level, and sometimes with a soft, wavy surface, where Ellen thought it must be charming to run up and down. 
Every now and then these were varied by a little rising ground, capped with a piece of woodland, and beautiful trees. Many of them were seen standing alone, especially by the roadside. All had a cheerful, pleasant look. The houses were very scattered. In the whole way they passed but few. Ellen's heart regularly began to beat when they came in sight of one, and, I wonder if that is Aunt Fortune's house. Perhaps it is, or, I hope it is not, were the thoughts that rose to her mind. But slowly the oxen brought her abreast of the houses, one after another, and slowly they passed on beyond, and there was no sign of getting home yet. Their way was through pleasant lanes towards the south, but constantly approaching the hills. About a half-mile from Thoroughwall they crossed a little river, not more than thirty yards broad, and after that the twilight deepened fast. The shades gathered on field and hill. Everything grew brown and then dusky. And then Ellen was obliged to content herself with what was very near, for further than that she could only see dim outlines. She began again to think of their slow travelling, and to wonder that Mr. Van Brunt could be content with it. She wondered, too, what made him walk, when he might just as well have sat in the cart. The truth was, he had chosen that for the very purpose that he might have a good look at the little queen in the armchair. Apparently, however, he, too, now thought it might be as well to make a little haste, for he thundered out some orders to his oxen, accompanied with two or three strokes of his heavy lash, which, though not cruel by any means, went to Ellen's heart. "'Them lazy critters won't go fast anyhow,' said he to Ellen. "'They will take their own time. It ain't no use to cut them.' "'Oh, no, pray don't, if you please,' said Ellen, in a voice of earnest entreaty. "'Tain't fair neither,' continued Mr. Van Brunt, lashing his great whip from side to side, without touching anything. "'I have seen critters that would take any quantity of whipping to make them go. But them air ain't of that kind. They'll work as long as they can stand, poor fellows.' There was a little silence, during which Ellen eyed her rough charioteer, not knowing exactly what to make of him. "'I guess this is the first time you ever rid in an ox-cart, ain't it?' "'Yes,' said Ellen. "'I never saw one before.' "'Hain't you never seen an ox-cart? Well, how do you like it?' "'I like it very much indeed. Have we got much further to go before we get to Aunt Fortune's house?' "'Aunt Fortune's house? A pretty good bit yet. You see that mountain over there?' pointing with his whip to a hill directly west of them, and about a mile distant. "'Yes,' said Ellen. "'That's the nose. "'Then you see that other?' pointing to one that lay some two miles further south. "'Miss Fortune's house is just this side of that. "'It's all of two miles from here.' And, urged by this recollection, he again scolded and cheered the patient oxen, who for the most part kept on their steady way without any reminder. But perhaps it was for Ellen's sake that he scarcely touched them with the whip." "'That don't hurt them, not a bit,' he remarked to Ellen. "'It only lets them know that I'm here, and they must mind their business. "'So you're Miss Fortune's niece, eh?' "'Yes,' said Ellen. "'Well,' said Mr. Van Brunt, with a desperate attempt at being complimentary, "'I shouldn't care if you was mine, too.' Ellen was somewhat astounded, and so utterly unable to echo the wish that she said nothing. She did not know it, but Mr. Van Brunt had made, for him, most extraordinary efforts at sociability. Having quite exhausted himself— he now mounted into the cart and sat silent, only now and then uttering energetic gees and haws, which greatly excited Ellen's wonderment. She discovered they were meant for the ears of the oxen, but more than that she could not make out. They plodded along very slowly, and the evening fell fast. As they left behind the hill which Mr. Van Brunt had called the Nose, they could see through an opening in the mountains, a bit of the western horizon, and some brightness still lingering there but it was soon hid from view, 
and darkness veiled the whole country. Ellen could amuse herself no longer with looking about. She could see nothing very clearly but the outline of Mr. Van Brunt's broad back just before her. But the stars had come out, and brilliant and clear they were, looking down upon her, with their thousand eyes. Ellen's heart jumped when she saw them, with a mixed feeling of pleasure and sadness. They carried her right back to the last evening, when she was walking up the hill with Timmins. She remembered her anger against Mrs. Dunscombe, and her kind friend's warning not to indulge it, and all his teaching that day, and tears came with the thought, how glad she should be to hear him speak to her again. Still looking up at the beautiful quiet stars, she thought of her dear far-off mother, how long it was already since she had seen her. Faster and faster the tears dropped, and then she thought of that glorious one who had made the stars, and was above them all, and who could and did see her mother and her, though ever so far apart, and could hear and bless them both. The little face was no longer upturned. It was buried in her hands and bowed to her lap, and tears streamed as she prayed that God would bless her dear mother and take care of her. Not once nor twice. The fullness of Ellen's heart could not be poured out in one asking. Greatly comforted at last, at having, as it were, laid over the care of her mother upon one who was able, she thought of herself and her late resolution to serve him. She was in the same mind still. She could not call herself a Christian yet, but she was resolved to be one and she earnestly asked the Saviour she sought to make her and keep her his child, and then Ellen felt happy. Quiet and weariness and even drowsiness succeeded. It was well the night was still, for it had grown quite cool, and a breeze would have gone through and through Ellen's nankeen coat. As it was, she began to be chilly, when Mr. Van Brunt, who, since he got into the cart, had made no remarks except to his oxen, turned round a little and spoke to her again. "'It's only a little bit of a way we've got to go now,' said he. "'We're turning the corner.' The words seemed to shoot through Ellen's heart. She was wide awake instantly, and quite warm. And leaning forward in her little chair, she strove to pierce the darkness on either hand of her, to see whereabouts the house stood, and how things looked. She could discern nothing but misty shadows, and outlines of she could not tell what. The starlight was too dim to reveal anything to a stranger. "'There's the house,' said Mr. Van Brunt, after a few minutes more. "'Do you see it yonder?' Ellen strained her eyes, but could make out nothing, not even a glimpse of white. She sat back in her chair, her heart beating violently. Presently Mr. Van Brunt jumped down, and opened a gate at the side of the road, and, with a great deal of geeing, the oxen turned to the right, and drew the cart a little way up the hill, then stopped on what seemed level ground. "'Here we are,' cried Mr. Van Brunt, as he threw his whip on the ground, and laid enough. "'You must be tired of that little armchair by this time.' "'Come to the side of the cart, and I'll lift you down.' Poor Ellen, there was no help for it. She came to the side of the cart, and taking her in his arms, her rough charioteer set her very gently and carefully on the ground. "'There,' said he, "'now you can run right in. Do you see that little gate?' "'No,' said Ellen, "'I can't see anything.' "'Well, come here,' said he, "'and I'll show you. Here. You're running again the fence. This way.' And he opened a little wicket, which Ellen managed to stumble through. "'Now,' said he, "'go straight up to that door yonder and open it, and you'll see where to go. "'Don't knock, but just pull the latch and go in.' "'And he went off to his oxen. "'Ellen at first saw no door, and did not even know where to look for it. "'By degrees, as her head became clearer, "'the large, dark shadow of the house stood before her, "'and a little, glimmering line of a path seemed to lead onward from where she stood. "'With unsteady steps, Ellen pursued it till her foot struck against the stone before the door.' Her trembling fingers found the latch, lifted it, and she entered. All was dark there, 
but at the right a window showed light glimmering within. Ellen made towards it, and, groping, came to another door-latch. This was big and clumsy. However, she managed it, and, pushing open the heavy door, went in. It was a good-sized, cheerful-looking kitchen. A fine fire was burning in the enormous fireplace. The white walls and ceiling were yellow in the light of the flame. No candles were needed, and none were there. The supper-table was set, and with its snow-white tablecloth and shining furniture looked very comfortable indeed. But the only person there was an old woman, sitting by the side of the fire, with her back towards Ellen. She seemed to be knitting, but did not move nor look round. Ellen had come a step or two into the room, and there she stood, unable to speak or to go any further. "'Can that be Aunt Fortune?' she thought. "'She can't be as old as that.' In another minute a door opened at her right, just behind the old woman's back, and a second figure appeared at the top of a flight of stairs which led down from the kitchen. She came in, shutting the door behind her with her foot, and indeed both hands were full, one holding a lamp and a knife, and the other a plate of butter. The sight of Ellen stopped her short. "'What is this? And what do you leave the door open for, child?' she said. She advanced toward it, plate and lamp in hand, and setting her back against the door, shut it vigorously. "'Who are you, and what's wanting?' "'I'm Ellen Montgomery, ma'am,' said Ellen timidly. "'What?' said the lady, with some emphasis. "'Didn't you expect me, ma'am? Papa said he would write.' "'Why, is this Ellen Montgomery?' said Miss Fortune, apparently forced to the conclusion that it must be. "'Yes, ma'am,' said Ellen. Miss Fortune went to the table, and put the butter and the lamp in their places. "'Did you say your father wrote to tell me of your coming?' "'He said he would, ma'am,' said Ellen. "'He didn't. Never sent me a line. Just like him. I never yet knew Morgan Montgomery do a thing when he promised he would.' Ellen's face flushed, and her heart swelled. She stood motionless. "'How did you get down here to-night?' "'I came in Mr. Van Brunt's ox-cart,' said Ellen. "'Mr. Van Brunt's ox-cart. Then he's got home, has he?' And hearing this instant a noise outside, Miss Fortune swept to the door, saying as she opened it, "'Sit down, child, and take off your things.' The first command, at least, Ellen obeyed gladly. She did not feel enough at home to comply with the second. She only took off her bonnet. "'Well, Mr. Van Brunt,' said Miss Fortune at the door, "'have you brought me a barrel of flour?' "'No, Miss Fortune,' said the voice of Ellen's charioteer. "'I've brought you something better than that.' "'Where did you find her?' said Miss Fortune, something shortly. "'Up at Forbes.' "'What have you got there?' "'A trunk. Where is it to go?' "'A trunk?' It must go upstairs, but how it is ever to get there, I am sure I don't know. I'll find a way to get it there. I'll engage, if you'll be so good as to open the door for me, ma'am. Indeed you won't. That'll never do, with your shoes on, said Miss Fortune, in a tone of indignant housewifery. Well, without my shoes, then, said Mr. Van Brunt, with a half-giggle, as Ellen heard the shoes kicked off. Now, ma'am, out of my way, give me a road. Miss Fortune seized the lamp, and, opening another door, ushered Mr. Van Brunt and the trunk out of the kitchen, and up, Ellen saw not whither. In a minute or two they returned, and he of the ox-cart went out. "'Supper's just ready, Mr. Van Brunt,' said the mistress of the house. "'Can't stay, ma'am. It's so late. Must hurry home.' And he closed the door behind him. "'What made you so late?' asked Miss Fortune of Ellen. "'I don't know, ma'am. I believe Mr. Van Brunt said the blacksmith had kept him.' Miss Fortune bustled about a few minutes in silence, setting some things on the table and filling the teapot. "'Come,' she said to Ellen, "'take off your coat and come to the table. You must be hungry by this time. It's a good while since you had your dinner, ain't it? Come, mother.' The old lady rose, and Miss Fortune, taking her chair, set it by the side of the table, next to the fire. 
Ellen was opposite to her, and now, for the first time, the old lady seemed to know that she was in the room. She looked at her very attentively, but with an expressionless gaze which Ellen did not like to meet, though otherwise her face was calm and pleasant. "'Who is that?' inquired the old lady presently of Miss Fortune, in a half-whisper. "'That's Morgan's daughter,' was the answer. "'Morgan's daughter? Has Morgan a daughter?' "'Why, yes, mother, don't you remember? I told you a month ago he was going to send her here.' The old lady turned again, with a half-shake of her head, towards Ellen. "'Morgan's daughter,' she repeated to herself softly. "'She's a pretty little girl. Very pretty. Will you come round here and give me a kiss, dear?' Ellen submitted. The old lady folded her in her arms, and kissed her affectionately. "'That's your grandmother, Ellen,' said Miss Fortune, as Ellen went back to her seat. Ellen had no words to answer. Her aunt saw her weary down look, and soon after supper proposed to take her upstairs. Ellen gladly followed her. Miss Fortune showed her to her room, and first asking if she wanted anything, left her to herself. It was a relief. Ellen's heart had been brimful, and ready to run over for some time. But the tears could not come then. They did not now, till she had undressed and laid her weary little body on the bed. Then they broke forth in an agony. She did not kiss me. She didn't say she was glad to see me, thought poor Ellen. But weariness this time was too much for sorrow and disappointment. It was but a few minutes, and Ellen's brow was calm again, her eyelids still, and with the tears wet upon her cheeks, she was fast asleep. End of chapter 9